As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it. Get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. This episode is presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code 1%BETTER. Hey, welcome back. This is Stephen Holder. I'm here with Zach Kiefer, and we're back for, I guess, a kind of unscheduled episode of 1% Better. Um, So it's our podcast, so we'll just do it when we feel like doing it. So I guess there's no rules. And so we're back because... We laid out for you the postseason mortem sort of on uh, or earlier this week, uh, Sunday night, coming off the Jacksonville game. And Thursday was another pivotal day because we got to spend quite a bit of time with general manager Chris Ballard. And these end of year conversations, Zach, they are always illuminating. They're always unique. They're always an experience. I mean, I, I, I... Honestly, look forward to them. I mean, it's the first thing I think about after they after their season's over. Yeah. It's like, well, when are we going to talk to Ballard? I mean, because you learn so much, and I, I don't even think it's about learning because he doesn't tell you specifically what they're going to do because nobody will do that. But you do get a sense of where where they stand, how they see things, how they feel, and as a fan, as someone who covers the team, I don't know what else matters more than knowing that you're not going to get that. You're not going to get more than that in the off season. So. Um, I would also say, Zach, you've done this a long time, as have I. The transparency and the the uh, willingness we get from Chris Ballard. I'm just telling you folks, this is not normal. Okay? I got him for 66 minutes. Is that what you got, It's not. Zach? It's not normal. <laughs> it, it, 30, 30 to 40 questions over 66 minutes. Last year was the same thing. The year the before man's crazy. was the same thing. <laughs> yeah. It's... Um, Anyway, so so I've heard a lot about. I'm not here to like pimp Chris Ballard. I'm just here to tell you uh, that you know what you have that you have something unique. If you're a fan of the team, you do have something unique in, in the guy running the team because this is not normal. Um, I've heard a lot this week about accountability and you know when are they going to answer these questions? Well, it gave you 66 minutes of answers. You might not like all the answers. I didn't like all the but answers, what, but we're not going right. to get up there and yell at them and act like an idiot. The point of a press conference is to get information. It's to get an answer, right. to learn something. And I learned a lot about what he thinks about his team and what happened. And 
like you said, you're not going to get every answer. He's not going to tell you what's going to happen in the next couple of months, but he pulled back the curtain pretty well yesterday. And I would, I think so. Anyone who disagrees, I would challenge you to go watch the press conference and, and, and tell me you didn't get a pretty good feel of what the GM thinks about everything that happened. Yeah. If you have an hour to spare, which is not true for most of us, but if you do knock yourself out, I would highly recommend it. Uh, so, all right, let's talk about our takeaways. Obviously we'll get into Carson Wentz. I want to start a little more broadly though. If we, if we could, Zach, with just his reaction to to how this all unfolded. I thought he he struck a little bit of a balance between being pissed off, as he clearly is, and he acknowledged what we talk about on this podcast all the time. He acknowledged to us, hey, you guys have seen me during games. You know how I am. You know how competitive I am. That is very true. But then he also, I think, balanced that against the other reality, which is that we can't just burn it all down because we lost these two games at the end of the season. So what did you get? That that was my takeaway. I, I saw him as like he's still in that phase where he wants to take a breath and take it all in and then we'll get down to business at a later time when we're when our heads are clearer. What did that what did you make of that? Is that how you saw it? Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. And and the money quote was I gotta wait till the poison's out. The poison's not out yet. Hmm. And by that he means Jacksonville still stings, and it's going to sting for a while. But I think what they're going to do in the next weeks and months is really dig into what the hell happened, right? I think everybody out there listening wants to know, how did this team fall apart so dramatically with so much on the line, right? They want an answer. And Chris, you know, whether you disagree with every mood he's made or, or, or think he's a genius or think he's an idiot, he sat up there yesterday and said, I don't have an answer to that. He's up at night every night because he can't sleep. Because he can't find an answer, right? Why did Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly in the offensive line not even show up in Jacksonville? Why did Carson Wentz play his worst two games of the season the last two weeks, right? Why didn't defense get off the field? You know, he doesn't have an answer yet. They need to go find that answer. That's what the offseason's about. And then they're going to have to find solutions, right? That's their job. That's what he said. But, I mean, how about this for a quote, right? And, and there's a couple of moments in the press conference when Chris would just look at the floor and sort of let the pain in from this from this collapse. And he said, look, we embarrassed ourselves, we embarrassed our owner, and we embarrassed our city. And that's where they're at right now. This is the mm-hmm. bed they have made. They're going to have to lay in it. They're going to have to live with Jacksonville 25, Colts 11, with everything on the line. And the lessons and the stain from that loss are going to stay with this team, I guarantee you, for the next eight months, because there's nothing they can do to amend it until they start playing games again. And, and and that's that's the reality. And if Carson Wentz is back next year, there's nothing he can say in March or April or May or June or August. I don't care what anyone has to say. Nothing matters until they play games that matter again. That's the only way to answer these questions, to move on from this embarrassment, as Ballard called it. But I think, I think we did learn a little bit yesterday about how he feels, where his roster's at, the holes – and mostly the quarterback. Yeah, and <laughs> you talked about the the money quote the, on the getting the poison out. There's also another money quote, and I just love the the contrast between Frank Reich and Chris Ballard is hilarious to me. You know, Frank Reich gets yeah. up there and he he's philosophical about it. Chris Ballard, man, sometimes you get your ass beat. 
<laughs> and I don't disagree. They got their ass beat. Let I like it you. when it's real, I man. I like it when they don't sugarcoat yeah. it, man. That's just I just want the truth. Give it to me straight. Don't you know don't I mean? treat like, me like an idiot. I saw the game. <laughs> you know, and don't get me wrong. Like Frank's approach is fine on some level because it, we understand what it means through like translating it through his prism. You know what I'm saying? Like we know when Frank Reich is disappointed or or let down, right? We 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 can see that he just oh, doesn't express it in the same it manner. In Jacksonville, he was devastated. Right, Chris Ballard, he sort of conveys it in a much different manner it's just much more clear and it's just plain spoken right because he's a southern texas boy so anyway south texas boy excuse me so anyway i, I all right let's just dive into this because i think obviously there's no bigger topic than carson wentz our story numbers certainly <laughs> confirm that because <laughs> it's what you guys are reading about and commenting on and you know i i don't think i, th- I think we'd be remiss if we pretended that wasn't the case so Let's just get into that. That was, I think you asked the very first question, and I think it was whether Carson Wentz would be the quarterback. Obviously, he didn't offer a, an affirmative or a negative answer on that. I didn't expect one. But here's my thing. What's the overarching takeaway on Carson Wentz from that press conference yesterday? I'll tell you mine, then you can give yours. Mine, Zach, is that I don't think we can necessarily write the final chapter yet because I don't think we know, but there is no question uh, that Chris Ballard's, I think, uh, assessment of Carson Wentz was that not good enough and and maybe won't be good enough at any point. Um, I, I think he put a lot of this on the quarterback for a guy who, by the way, always, always, always says it's not all about the quarterback. I think for the first time, we got the sense from him that maybe it is about the quarterback and in a much more negative way. Yeah. <laughs> and I I just think that he I'm not saying he's rethinking that, but I, I gotta tell you, I mean, that was not the same uh version of that story that we've gotten from Chris Ballard all along, which is that, well, you know, it's fifty-three guys and you know, he was very I thought I talked about him being plain spoken. I thought he was pretty plain spoken about the quarterback as well. So uh, I mean, what are your thoughts? What what was your takeaway? When we made the decision to make a trade for Carson, these are Chris Ballard's words. At the time of the decision, we felt good about it. And I still don't regret the decision at the time. Sitting here today, I won't make a comment on who's going to be here next year and who's not going to be here. It's not fair to any player. I thought Carson did some good things, and I think there's a lot of things he needs to do better. Our passing game needs to be better. Those are Chris Ballard's words when I asked. I didn't ask if Carson was going to be his quarterback next year. I asked if he wanted Carson Wentz to be his quarterback next year. Um, Mm -hmm. Chris Ballard did not sugarcoat this, and I don't think he insulted the fans by trying to paint a picture that's not real. Everybody watched Jacksonville, and everybody watched the Raiders game. The quarterback shrunk in the biggest moment of the season, and that's the reality. And I think it's becoming more and more clear to me that Jim Irsay and and Chris Ballard had a let's-wait-and-see approach on Carson Wentz this year. They believed they could win with him, and this team did win with him 8 of 10 in the middle of the season. But I don't think they can win because of him, and I don't think they're as sold on Carson Wentz today as they were three weeks ago, obviously. And I think it's becoming a situation where, okay, Frank, if you want to keep this dude, 
you need to tell us why it's going to be different. Because I don't know if it's going to be different. Because Carson Wentz reverted the last two weeks into 2020 Carson Wentz. Sloppy mechanics, trying to play hero ball. If you guys haven't watched the Kurt Warner breakdown of his game from Jacksonville, I encourage you to do so. It's damning. I mean, there are open receivers in the flat all day long. And it's what I watched Carson do last year with the Eagles. And I thought about a quote that Carson gave us no less than 15 times this year. He asked, you know, he was asked, you know, you always talk about that line you're going to walk, that 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 tightrope between playing really aggressive and making great throws like you did in Arizona to win that game. And then secondly, the recklessness and the idiot, the idiotic plays and, and the inaccuracy and not taking the Jonathan Taylor for eight instead of going for Paris Campbell on fourth and 10 for, you know, an incompletion like that. That line that Carson pretty did, he did a pretty good job of that this year. I think anybody, if you look at it objectively, the dude only had seven interceptions, though he had he should have had a couple more that were dropped. Took care of the ball pretty well. But when the wheels came off in January, it's because he reverted to the very issues that plagued him in Philadelphia last year. And my question to you is, and this was asked to Ballard yesterday, can he ever get rid of that? Is that something you can coach out of him, beat out of him? teach out of them. And Ballard said, I don't know. That's something Frank's going to have to work through. But maybe the the biggest quote we heard from Ballard, and this is just going to make it worse for the fans, was just take the layups, Carson. Just take the layups. I mean, that's that's the essence of this. And that's the shame of it because he had such a, such a solid season up until the last two weeks. And then it just all came crashing down. And if he would have taken the layups, we wouldn't have this conversation right now. Yeah. And, and I think the 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 layups comment to me is telling. I actually had that jotted down to, to bring up. I'm glad you did because for me, I, I think Chris Ballard, while he's very critical and very willing to to offer assessments of of the team and that kind of thing, he doesn't always get really specific on individual players. And, and Chris, excuse me, Frank Reich certainly doesn't do that, and he's bent over backwards to not do that, but. Uh, they'll praise individual players, but they rarely get into, okay, this guy does this well, this guy doesn't do this well, etc. Every blue moon, Chris Bauer will do it. He was extremely specific, I thought, about Carson Wentz and where he failed. And the layup comment, I think it was the embodiment of that. It's him saying, dude, get it together. <laughs> I mean, there's there's no other way to say that. I mean, it's, it's like he's saying he's not... He's not a smart football player right now because a smart football player takes the layups, right? I mean, that's you just know who how the best that works. layup taker in the history is? It's Tom freaking Brady. He can make all the great throws and the highlight no throws question. are the ones you see. But how did the how did Brady beat the Colts this year? He did nothing spectacular. He takes what yep. the defense gives him. Every game-winning drive Brady's ever had, he takes what the defense gives him. He doesn't force things. And Brady doesn't make mistakes very often. That's the beauty of his game. Carson is just in his own way far too often. And I'm not sure that's going to change. Look, Tom Brady made his career throwing slants to guys like Dion Branch, okay, and and quick curls to Julian Edelman. I mean, like, th- you're right. I mean, he made a career out of that, and he's going to go down as the greatest quarterback in history, certainly the, the greatest winning quarterback in history, not to you know get into a Peyton Manning, uh, excuse me, a, a Brady Manning debate. We certainly don't have the time for that. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, you're absolutely right. And, and Carson Wentz, I mean, he is 
all right, we're talking about layups. So let's continue the basketball metaphor. I mean, he is the guy who he's like Russell Westbrook. And I think I used this before. He's the guy who takes the terrible shots and makes them. And then on the next possession comes down the court completely out of control and dribbles the ball off his knee. That's a pretty good comparison. It's the worst. I hate watching that. It, but then he makes a shot, and you're like, "Oh yeah, now I remember." <laughs> and so that imagine was the being throw his in. coach. Imagine being his quarterback coach. I know. Can you imagine the that? gray that's, hair? So the gray, that's I mean, the throw. Louise. That's the throw in Arizona. And and Chris Ballard, he said what all of you said. He said he said what we said, which is that's a throw that only two or three quarterbacks in football can make. I agree. And then he'll make throws in that same game in the same 60 minutes that no quarterback should make. <laughs> so I don't know what you do with that. Uh, and and I think the, the sad part about this is that had Carson Wentz, I think, played half decent in either of these last two games, I'm not saying there wouldn't be questions. There would be questions. But I think it would be, it would be much more of a foregone conclusion that he would be back. I really do think these last two games – were such that it has thrown everything into question. I, I do not think this would be as much of a question without these performances, but maybe that needed to happen because as as much as I have been an advocate for, not advocate's the wrong word, as much as I have been on board with the idea that Carson Wentz played at an acceptable level for most of this season. I didn't say great. Neither did. of us did, he right? Did. He did. Yeah. He played at an acceptable level for the team that they have. Uh, they were playing winning football, and he was a part of that. But for as much as that happened, I think there was a big key among all these 66 minutes of comments from Chris Ballard. What he said is, we need to find that long-term solution. And he was very clear, <laughs> this guy's not it. I mean, he they, they, they didn't close the door on him becoming that, but he's not that now. So in the end, they're no closer. That's the show. That's, that's, that's what you wrote last last week, right? After the game. Yeah. This is the quote right here. And this was at the very end. But it's as it's as honest as we got. This is from Ballard. I'd like to quit band-aiding the quarterback spot. I'd like for Carson to be the long-term answer. Or for somebody to be here for 10 or 12 years. Sometimes it just doesn't work out that way, man. I can dream about it and wish about it and do everything I can to find a solution. But you do the best with what you can and the time you have to make a decision. There, I think there's context that's needed here, right? I don't, I don't blame them for going to get Carson last year. He was the best no. of a bunch of mediocre options and bad options, for that matter. If, you, if Sam Darnold's this quarterback this year, you, you win five games at best, right? Carson did help you win some games. He also lost some games for you late, and that's part of the equation. We'll see what the market looks like. They're going to look at it. I know for a fact that they're going to look at it. I would say... 50-50, he's back? I don't know. I don't, 50, 55, 45? I don't know. But it's going to depend on what's available to them. And I can't predict who's going to be available and what's going to be out there, but they're going to look at it. And I can promise you that Jim Mersey is not going to sweat whatever dollar amount he's going to have to eat or his team's going to have to eat on the salary cap. That's not going to be the issue here. He was that irate on Sunday. And, and the shame of it is, Ursay told us all along what was going to happen. He said it in August. He said, I love Chris Ballard. I love Frank Reich, but this team's going to go as far as Carson Wentz can take them. And Carson Wentz took them to week 18 in Jacksonville, and they got their ass kicked. And they're going to be sitting at home on Saturday and Sunday watching the playoffs like the rest of us. I thought it was hilarious that uh, Chris Ballard, <laughs> his 
characterization of his meeting, him and Chris, uh, excuse me, him and Frank Reich's meeting with Jim Irsay, he said, got our ass chewed. Yeah, so, so Reich <laughs> describes that. it as demanding and supportive. Those are his words. And Chris is like, yeah, it was an ass chewing. Like, just call it what it is, Frank. <laughs> But but when when Frank said that, you knew what that actually exactly. meant, though, right? So again, I, I've talked about this before. As you and you as, as a fan can pick up on this too. Like you guys are smart, and we see these guys and talk to them all the time, and we can read between the lines depending on who we're talking to, right? So like it, with Andrew Luck, you know, we could tell when Andrew was was down about something or we could tell when he was disappointed even though he never actually used the words that conveyed that you could tell because we talked to him all the time same thing with frank reich all of these guys frank reich's never gonna say we got our ass chewed or we played like shit he's never gonna say that right but we know when he's thinking that by demeanor by the way he composes his words all of that body language and so yeah, there's no question. <laughs> we knew it when Frank Reich said it, and I think Chris Ballard just confirmed it just outright. So that was cool. And that that's why these conversations are good, because Chris, I think, confirms and rubber stamps so many things that we already thought and maybe weren't 100% sure on. He just says it. And so that's a that's definitely helpful in terms of you know establishing where things stand. Uh, the, you mentioned one, one thing about uh, you know, taking the layups, and we talked about that. The other thing I asked Chris Ballard about was, and this is related, Carson Wentz's mechanics are like sometimes like a seventh grade quarterback. It's so frustrating. And it's not because, and as, I, as I said to Chris Ballard, I mean, he's been playing quarterback forever, so he knows good mechanics. What is his issue there, and can that be fixed? He's, I think he's 30 years old now or about to be 30. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, this is, this is not something that – Is that who he is? He's, he's, not a, he's not a kid, right? And so he said – he acknowledged that. He said it's a problem. He says you can work it, you can work it, you can work it. But when you get back to um, under fire and in the moment, you revert to bad mechanics. And that is something Carson Wentz has repeatedly done. He did say, and I think this is important, Andrew Luck – I think going into year six, of, year six of his career, I think, started working with Tom House, who was the renowned throwing mechanics expert who got to start in baseball with pitchers. And he's, he's had a lot of success with a lot of quarterbacks as well in recent years. Andrew, I think, benefited greatly from that after his injury. Uh, he, he needed to sort of sync up his mechanics with his legs, yeah. Uh, especially after the he shoulder injury. He endlessly had, about his feet yeah. and his base. That's huge for these yes. guys. Now, Andrew, when he had the shoulder injury, he modified his throwing motion, and it was an, in a negative way. So he had to kind of relearn that, and he did. And I thought he had a really efficient season, a really accurate season, his most accurate season, actually, in 2018. I don't think that was by accident. So I guess what I'm saying is, damn it, Carson Wentz called Tom House. But well, I don't know, man. At the Adam end of the Dodeau. day. He's worked with House and Dodeau before. That's true. Maybe that's the that's most true. troubling thing. But look at, and I'm not a quarterback expert, but look at his base. His base on some it's of these terrible. big throws, it gets really, really wide. And what what is Carson's miss? He misses everybody high. And he misses Naheem Hines in the flat high. And he misses Jack Doyle high. And he missed Pittman, although Pittman probably should have caught it on that big third down the middle of the field, but you're right. My question is, okay, he's almost 30 years old. 
he knows this stuff. He knows the mechanics. Yeah. He knows the coaching. He's had it. Frank Reich and Milanovic drilled him on this all season long. The fact that it broke down with the season on the line, why is it not going to happen next year? Why is that not going to creep back up, right? That's the question that you can't really answer right now, but the Colts don't have a choice. They have to answer that. And I don't know if I don't know if Kirk Cousins is available. I don't know if Jimmy G's an option, but those are the things you got away in terms of do you trust Carson Wentz? Would you trust them more? Is the gamble worth it? The shame of all of it is I would love to see Frank Reich with a quarterback two years in a row. But here we are going into year five, and there's no guarantee that he has a quarterback for the second straight year. He could have a fifth different starting quarterback in five consecutive years, which is almost unheard of for a team that's been mostly competitive, right? Two playoff spots in, in those five yeah. years. We'll see what happens. But here we go again. It feels like we're on a damn hamster wheel. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So here's the thing. If you go out and you get another quarterback, but it's another situation where you're you're not sure if he's the guy. Say it's another experiment because they largely will be experiments on oh, some level yeah. unless you get a sure thing. And and the only sure thing out there is to go get, you know, the likes of Russell Wilson. How do you do that, right? We'll get to scenarios here hey, in a second. If but, that, but okay. let's, let's just caveat that. If Wilson or Rodgers is available, blow it up. Go get him. Go get him. Don't, oh, no, for sure. I mean, give him a piece of the franchise. If yeah, you don't care. Like, <laughs> Andrew Mercy would do it if the salary cap allowed him. It's not, <laughs> okay, it's, I don't think it's you know, 1% or whatever. But, like, oh, for sure. Yeah, there's, there's no question. I think that is just understood. That is just understood. And honestly, if you're one of those guys – you're not going to get a more ready-made team that's lacking a quarterback than this one. That's true. In my estimation. That's true. So there has to be some appeal there. But anyhow, uh, let, let's just say, all right, let's say Jimmy Garoppolo, just for a wild example, complete spitball example, right? I have no idea what the dynamics are going to be there. I, I don't even know whether he's back. I have no idea how they feel going forward. doesn't matter. I'm just using him as an example. Are you sure, right? Can you say right now with certainty that he makes them some kind of contending football team, right? I, I don't know that we can say that. Uh, and and maybe he does. I, I'm just saying you don't know it for a fact. So what my point is, if you make a change and it's to someone who isn't a sure thing, is that progress? And that's the problem here. You know, it, it is, is it change for the sake of change? Is it? progress it might be progress it might not be so i 
I think they run the risk of being in the same boat. So I'm not saying I don't have any answers. I'm just telling you this is a really shitty situation and they may not there may not be a fix. Even something like that might not be a fix. I don't know. I mean I mean you go back don't to you, the don't game. you run that risk, right? Absolutely. And you go back to the game in October, Carson Wentz outplayed Jimmy G decisively in the Absolutely. rain in San Francisco. Jimmy G's had injury problems and these are the things the Colts are going to have to work out. But the reality is, and, and no one's going to like to hear this, but there's not going to be a great option. And Chris has said this a million times. It's not like Andrew Luck is walking through that door or something similar. There's a reason these guys are so hard to find because they're not available. They're just not available. Peyton Manning becoming a free agent in 2012 was was an insane thing, right? And, and Tom Brady going to the Bucks a couple of years ago. Those are very, very rare things. And the, the craziest thing about the NFL to me is how these – Eight or nine elite quarterbacks are so good. And then there's just this gap between the rest of them. The Jimmy G's, the Cousins, the Bridgewaters, if Wentz is in that category or even below it, right? Like th- those are the hardest things, the hardest commodities to get your hands on in sports. And if you're the Packers, you're not letting Rodgers go anywhere, right? I mean, you you make it work, yeah. right? You, you, you come to the table and you say, what do you want? I mean – whether he's difficult to deal with or not, that's why you that's why you make that work. And, and the Colts are starting to see, fans are starting to see what it's like on the other side, what it's like to be the Browns who looked for a quarterback forever, what it's like to be all these other teams, the Dolphins, who were still trying to find a replacement for Dan Marino 20 years later, right? You went from Manning to Luck, and that's not real. And that was 20 years of greatness, and now you're just scraping year by year to find something that works. While the roster is pretty damn good, and it's too good to be sitting at home while the playoffs start this weekend. This is the reality, and they're going to have to find an answer. And and fans are probably not going to love the answer. Let's just call it like what it is. Yeah, I mean, even in Peyton Manning's scenario, I mean, if it's not for the number one overall pick and the presence of Andrew Luck, who knows how that goes, right? That probably plays out differently. So you had to have just an unbelievable series of events fall into place for that guy to depart, you know, is, is what I'm getting at, you know, uh, Seattle and Russell Wilson. I, I don't know what the dynamics are going to be there, but you know, a lot would have to happen, you know, before it came to that, you know, um, that would be so as, fun. Uh, It'd be so fun to have Russell be. Wilson in this offense, but it ain't going to happen. So we shouldn't get our hopes up. And we could finally settle that Andrew Luck Russell Wilson debate. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> they were going to um, draft Russell, according to <laughs> according to Ursay, right? That's right. They were going to draft everybody. <laughs> they were going to draft Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre and and Tom Brady too, right? Right. So anyway, the reason I brought up that Jimmy Garoppolo example, though, just to to put a bow on this, is because I am I was really trying to reinforce the fact that. I don't think we can close the book on this yet. I think Carson Wentz, I, I think you put it probably accurately saying, um, you know, 50-50, I think is not crazy. I know people, there are some people out there who will not want to hear that. Okay. Absolutely, positively not want to hear that. All I'm saying to you is, you know, they can try to upgrade. They can try to work some kind of a deal. But what if they can't? You know what I mean? I, I, I think, I still think, uh, they'll tweak some things and try it again. And they may have to. They may have to. Um, I don't know. It's going to be hard for people to stomach. But I, I'm just telling you, I don't think you can close the door on it, man. You really can't. No, I think uh, fans need to prepare for the possibility that Carson Wentz is the starter in week one of next year. 
And I know there's right. some that are okay with that, and they think that he can be better. And, and I think he would be better in year two with the training camp and all that. I'm not going to change on that. But the reality is they're going to look at everything. And I think it's it's very telling this week that both Chris Ballard and Frank Reich would not commit to Carson Wentz in 2022. A year ago, they both stood at the same podium and said, if Philip wants to come back, Philip's our quarterback. That's not an accident. These guys are mm. smart. They're not boxing themselves in. They know what they're doing, and they're pissed off just like you guys out there about what happened at the end and the fact that they don't know if they can trust their quarterback. That's the reality. And Jim Irsay, whatever decision these guys make, and it will be Reich and Ballard's decision, but Irsay is going to have a lot of say in it as well. Whatever decision they make at quarterback, they're going to have to explain themselves to the owner. And if it's Carson, they're going to have to explain themselves double, right? Like, okay, why after what we just saw are you deciding to run with this guy? Um, so that's that's where we're at. And and it's just it's just it's deja vu, man. It's like every offseason. At this point, I don't know who the quarterback's gonna be next year. And the fact that they don't know who the quarterback's gonna be, that's the problem. Look, I'll just put it this way to to reinforce what you just said about your mercy. He's gonna have more pointed questions than he did last year. That we know. There's no doubt about that. And he should. And I'm very interested to see uh, what those answers will be uh, if and when this goes that way. So, look, I I don't know. I, all I can tell you is, you know, you talked earlier about how they will consider their other options. I, I would also point out that Chris Ballard literally said that. He said, you know, we're going to look at everything. We'll look at everything. We'll, we'll consider all the options. And so I, I think they've – they kind of put their cards on the table. I thought Chris Ballard basically put the cards on the table. And and the example you used with Philip Rivers, I think, is perfect. We knew that they were going to consider their options with Philip, but that had more to do with his age. You know what I mean? Like he was, he was 39. It was like, yeah, we're gonna look, we're gonna look for a freaking quarterback. <laughs> but you know, if we have to play Philip next year, you know, we can stomach that. You know, like we we can live with that. Uh, but just by virtue of his being 39 years old and, and obviously diminishing, they had to do what they had to do. It wasn't because get this guy out of here. <laughs> That's not what that was. You know, this is, this is a little more on the other end of the spectrum. So we'll have to see. Uh, all right. Let's talk about maybe a couple of other things. Let me read this quote to you and, and let's dig right, into ahead. this a little bit. I want to get your thoughts. We asked about COVID and, Every one of the Colts unvaccinated players tested positive late in the season. And, and whatever you feel about the vaccine is that's your choice. That's that's you. We're not here to decide who should get vaccinated or not. But it is a reality in the league when it impacts the team's availability to have players out there. Right. I won't use COVID as an excuse. This is Ballard talking. It hit us. It hit everybody. Everybody's dealing with it. I think it's a possibility. Maybe. But this, but every team is dealing with it, and it is what it is. And then he paused, and he said, it got us. And it did. It got them late in the season, and they missed a lot of guys in those games. And I know they won in Arizona, despite the, 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 all, you know, Darius being out, Quentin being out. They didn't look like themselves against the Raiders, and they sure as hell didn't look like themselves against the Jaguars. I'm not excusing the losses because every other team is dealing with it. But in your mind, is the question worth asking? Did COVID bury this team at the end of the season? It's 1,000% worth asking. And I will tell you this. All right, first of all, this is just kind of ironic. Not not totally ironic, but um, 
I was working on a story. I started working on a story last week about how COVID has impacted players who are returning to the lineup after COVID. What prompted this for me was the NFL moving to a five-day timeline for guys to come back. And the Colts definitely benefited from that, right? They had a lot of guys able to come back after the CDC made its its updated recommendations uh, from 10 days to five. The NFL said, okay, here we go. And so the Colts had a lot of guys, Darius Leonard, Quentin Nelson among them, be able to come back on that abbreviated timeline. So good, they got their guys back. But that's only half the equation. And I think yeah, we as the public- Yeah, you to play well if you're back. They didn't. Right. We as the public, fans, media, et cetera, it's kind of like with injuries. It's like, ah, he's out there. All right. And then, you know, then sometimes a guy plays like shit. And then a week later we come back and like, yeah, you know what? He might, maybe he shouldn't have played. And, and we don't ask those questions on the front end. We always ask them on the back end. You know what I'm saying? And this is really that. And, and I will tell you, so in the process of doing the reporting for this story, I talked to two really high level experts who have dealt with COVID and have a very strong background in sports medicine dealing with high-level athletes, and they were adamant, adamant, that if you are symptomatic, it's a tough road back. Not necessarily like you're just, you know, really, really sick. That's not what I'm saying. Your symptoms may not have been terrible, but COVID has an impact. I mean, any of you out there who have been vaccinated, for example, right? I haven't had COVID to my knowledge, but I, I've had, you know, had a couple shots. I've had the booster. So, you know, you get a little bit of a flavor of COVID, right? A very, very, very small taste. For me, the only thing that hit me was fatigue. But you felt it. I felt it. Like, I couldn't get up and go to the gym the day after. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm, I'm going to have to yeah. hang out. Try, try blocking a 300-pound lineman. You know, and that's just literally the mildest, mildest taste of COVID, you know, and I agree. Look, it hits everybody different. I don't think Darius Leonard was impacted. He looked pretty good. Darius Leonard, I thought, played with his hair on fire against Las Vegas. Do you remember? He missed a big play at the end. Let me ask you this. <laughs> the Hard Knocks episode where Quentin had COVID. He's in his bed, it looks like, yep. on the Zoom with Chris Strasser. Yep. I Quentin noticed. looked like warmed over death. He looked like it was awful. Now, he came terrible. back and he played the last two games, but that dude looked like hell. Like He looked like it, it got him bad. Now, I'm just speculating here, um, and they, they can't make this excuse because every team had to deal with it, but when 10 of your best players are unvaccinated, they all get COVID at the very end of the season. Now, they're able to come back. That's great, but it's fair to say that, you know, this was the, this was the flame they were playing. They were, you know, they were playing with fire. And it might have burned. I agree. Look, I, I I think that you can you don't have to do anything more than just look around the NFL. Look, I wrote that story, and it really wasn't even a Colts story. I didn't have to make the story about the Colts because there were other examples. Okay, for example, Allen Robinson in Chicago. If you follow his situation in recent weeks, he came out and was very honest about things. He said he lost ten pounds dealing with COVID. Ten pounds for an NFL player. That's probably 10 pounds of muscle because these guys don't have a whole lot of body fat on them. So th go lose 10 pounds of muscle and then go try to, you know, play against Terrell Matthew. You know, I, I mean, that's significant. And then he talked about the exhaustion. Uh, we heard uh, Patrick Mahomes in recent weeks talk about Tyreek Hill coming off the COVID list and how he was just completely exhausted in their 
their game that week. He played, I believe, something like 28 snaps, which for Tyreek Hill is nothing. I mean, he usually plays twice that. So this thing's real. It, it It's really hard to be, um, you know, to put like a number on it or to give uniform answers because there are none. Yeah, you know it's, what I mean? it's really like, hard to quantify. It's really hard. And everybody, it's a, it's about degrees. And everybody gets hit differently, you know, you know, symptomatic, asymptomatic. We don't have all the answers, people. But I, I think you're, so look, we're connecting dots here. Okay? Yeah. Let me be clear. We're connecting dots. But I, we can see the dots. <laughs> okay. Like your example with Quentin Nelson, I think is is perfect. And it's been on my mind for the past two weeks. He looked like he needed to stay home for another two weeks by the look on his face on that Hard Knocks video. So I that has been burned in my mind for the last couple of weeks. Um, and again, this is not a, you know, I'm, I'm not here to make some kind of campaign for vaccination. We're just giving it to you in black and white. The, va- the unvaccinated players got wiped out by this thing. And I don't mean in terms of their condition. I'm just saying in terms of, Testing positive, they all they just about all missed time as far as I'm as far as I know. They're they're probably I don't think I know all fifty three of the players' vaccination status, so I'm not going to say that. But we know most of them, and the ones that we are aware of, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Just about all the ones that we are aware of, Zach, who are unvaccinated, they got hit. I, mean, I believe it do was you take any issue with that. I believe it was ten unvaccinated players on the fifty three by the end of the season. We're talking about the December roster. And all ten got it. And I'm not saying that you know the vaccine makes make sure you don't get it, right? We know Omicron's going crazy, but sure. um, that's just a and, shame. And by man. the way, and testing testing is is a factor, right? Because they right. got tested more, right? But that's that was part of the calculation. That's right. why we made a big deal about it, right? Yeah. And we don't have an answer for you. We don't have an answer, but it's absolutely worth asking. And I can guarantee you, inside that building this week, Frank Reich, Chris Ballard, and Jim Mersey have thought the same exact thing. How much did COVID play a role in this season ending the way it did? And they're not going to have an answer either because it's a case-by-case basis, like you said, with every player. But what did we tell you guys in, in August, right? The Colts were one of the least vaccinated teams. They're playing with fire. And this could come back to burn them this season. Now, their play is what burned them in Jacksonville and, and versus the Raiders and all the the crap they did early in the season when they dug themselves the one and four hole. But I'm just wondering in the back of my mind how much how much of a role it played. Yeah, I I, I think it's just put it this way: you're right to wonder as a fan. If you're wondering, you are right to wonder. I think there's enough anecdotal evidence that it's a, a fair question, and and I think we have some sense of what the possible answers are. So we'll leave it at that. Um, I, I want to touch before we go. We're going to wrap this up. And we'll probably take a little break for a bit um, from the podcast. We'll see how things go. But anyhow, uh, the defense is something that came up yesterday. And I asked Chris Ballard about this. He kept harping on the turnovers and how they produce a lot of turnovers. I think that was amazing. He led the league in turnovers. That was great. Uh, My question to him was, is that enough? Okay. Is that in itself enough? And because... My issue is I thought there were some key moments this year where the defense just didn't come through. Some late drives yeah. that where the defense was just as complicit as the offense not converting. Baltimore. And he yeah, exactly. He allowed that that was an issue. But I did walk away feeling like he's still pretty bullish on Matt Eberflus. Do you agree? 
Yeah, I agree with your assessment of his thoughts on Matt Eberflus. I don't That's necessarily I mean. agree that the defense is there, and the defense has culpability in this as well. Um, look, the, the numbers aren't great in the pass rush, and I know that sacks are not everything, right? You can make stats do a whole lot of different things, but this is just where they're at this year. So after finishing 12th in the league in sacks last year, they fell to 25th this year, right? That's the lowest number mm. where they ranked in the league since 2017 when they were a 4-12 and awful football team. Here's my thing with the pass rush. I'm all for drafting Quiddy Pay if you think he's going to be a stud. And we saw some signs late in the season that he could be a really good player. My problem with it is if you're going to pair a rookie pass rusher and live with him growing up his first year, you cannot put Al-Quadin Muhammad on the other side. That's just that's just not good enough. And Buckner and Grover in the middle, um, they didn't get after the quarterback enough this year. And time and again, you saw it. You saw it against Russell Wilson in the opener, Matthew Stafford in week two. Same damn thing against Trevor Lawrence in week 18. You give these quarterbacks who are good time in the pocket, and they're going to carve you up against this zone. Where did, they, where did these guys throw it? They throw it in the middle of the field because there's always a soft spot in this zone. So there's, there's some tough questions to, to be answered about this defense right now. But I think I almost put more of it on Ballard than I do on Eberflus. And maybe I'm crazy, and if you disagree, yeah. let no, me know. But you 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 gotta you gotta figure this pass rush out. And I know you invested two very high picks last year in pass rushers, but they've invested six. If I'm if I'm getting this right, I want to say six picks the last five years in pass rushers above the third round. So third rounders, second rounders, first rounders. Going back to the great Terrell Basham, have you hit on any of them? <laughs> okay, maybe you hit on Quiddy Pay. We'll see. But we're talking Kamoko Toure, who hasn't done a whole lot. I mean. You can't live like the close. This. I will tell you this: the closest thing to a hit before this year's draft was probably Taekwon Lewis, and then he ended Ugh. up getting hurt. Yeah, Ballard you made know, a good point about hurt this year. I mean, that dude makes an interception. They're about to go up twenty-one to zero or seventeen to zero on the Titans, and he he tears his leg up. Like that's just awful luck. But that's that the the pass rushing situation is on Ballard's hands. It is. He's dirty in that regard. That's not good enough. And mm-hmm. and they can scheme up everything they can, but if you don't have a one on one pass rusher, that's not gonna it's not gonna be good enough. And to put a bow on this, like, okay, if you're gonna play this four three Russian cover defense, that's fine. And if you get a stud at linebacker like Darius, that's great. You gotta have you I mean, you gotta have a stud pass rusher. The reason it worked for Bill Polian all those years is because you had Freeney and Mathis winning one on ones. I know it's not easy to find a Freeney and Mathis. But you got to open up the checkbook and you got to go find a pass rusher. You can't let Danico Autry go then. If you're not going to find Freeney, you can't let Autry walk. Maybe you can't let Houston walk. You gambled on these young pass rushers. They didn't get it done. And that's one of the biggest reasons be, behind Wentz and a couple other reasons and, and the receivers and all that, right? The fact that they couldn't get after the opposing pass rusher, it killed them. The, the opposing quarterback, excuse me, it killed them. Killed them against Tennessee. It killed them against Baltimore and Lamar in that game they should have won. It killed them in week 18. Not good enough. That needs to be remedied this offseason. I think you made a great point in saying that, <clears throat> excuse me, Quiddy Pay on the one side, I think it's fine. But Quiddy Pay, drafting a rookie at 21 to be your featured pass rusher is a lot to ask of that kid. And I think not fair. And, and that's what they did. They essentially said, okay, we're good there, and we'll just sort of tag team the rest of it. Well, that's not fair. And the other point I'll make, and and I'm gonna think, I think I'm gonna dig into this in the next few weeks, or maybe heading into free agency. But 
so we know that Chris Ballard is very deliberate about how he approaches free agency. Okay, fine. That's fine. But he, he mentioned how, for example, wide receivers in free agency, they don't, they tend to not pan out. I think there's some, there's some truth to that, uh, at least the, on the, the high end guys, right? There, there's some truth in that. There's some exceptions as well. But the one thing I can say though, is I do think your likelihood of succeeding with free agent pass rushers is a little better. They have proven that. Yeah. They did it before. They did it with Danico Autry. And this is a team that that is terrible at drafting pass rushers. And even they got the pass rushers right in free agency. Okay. Danico Autry, Justin Houston, I thought both were home runs for what they paid for them. Yes. And and so they have remember, already proven. They went in on they went on JJ Watt. They were in on JJ Watt. I don't know how True. close they came to landing him. I think the money became too much. But they knew they they were willing to go big on that. They just didn't get him, and he got hurt. So who knows how that would have played out? But they right. they knew that it, they needed to add something. Yeah. So I I think I do think that you can get an impactful player there in free agency, and he can have impact. I mean, I think you see it in places like Kansas City. They've done it, for example. So I I just think they have to understand and admit their weakness there. And I think Chris Ballard. That's the one thing. That was one of the few things yesterday where I felt like he kind of really looked at himself in the mirror about because he he was very clear. He said he said two things that were very important. He says you got to be able to throw the ball and you got to rush the passer. This is a passing league, so Mister Run the football and stop the run <laughs> is now saying it's a passing league. You got to throw the ball and you got to you, you got the league the rushing champ. The league rushing champ is watching the playoffs from home. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what you're dealing with. So so I think, you know, I'm not saying that he's going to change all his philosophy on this. And he still talked about process and that needing to be the same. But let's be clear. I do think that there's a lot of self-examination that's going to happen as a result of this. And I think some approaches could potentially change. So we will see. They Long way to, to go before the next to. game. You can't run it back. <laughs> like you said, you can't run it back as is. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. Long way to go before the next game. So I guess we'll have a lot of time to talk about all this. But uh, anyway, we just wanted to give you a little bit of a flavor of what we got out of yesterday. And um, anyway, hope, uh, hope you got something out of that. Uh, so stay tuned. We will we'll be back periodically. We're not going to go away. Um, we're going to let our hair down for a little bit and uh, relax, decompress. But um just stay tuned. We'll drop you a line when, we, uh, when we're coming and keep an eye on your podcast feed. And uh, when news happens, we will be here. So anyway, in the meantime, uh, stay tuned to The Athletic. We're still going to be pumping out stories. Uh, we're covering the playoffs, obviously, elsewhere. So lots going on. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiever. We thank you so much for hanging with us this season. This is 1% Better. <laughs>